When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Fantasy Footballers DFS Podcast with your hosts, Kyle Borgannoni and Matthew Betts. Well, welcome in to the summer of best ball here on the Fantasy Footballers DFS Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Borgannoni, and I'm here with Matthew Best Ball Betts. Oh, baby. The summer of best ball is officially upon us dude i am so excited to start best ball season with you uh we got the primer behind the scenes it's coming through we're almost there and uh we're pushing forward to june one man so i'm super excited you are the one of this group that puts the bets in the best ball uh i try to do my part i try to be a man of the people and i'm in a couple of drafts right now that i think will kind of i'm, I'm gonna process okay i'm gonna process my thoughts of how I'm doing in my best ball drafts, including a best ball mania three draft on this show. I know that you've kind of gotten to dip your toes in the water. You're not fully in summer mode on the back porch yet. So any, any moves yet towards the deck? Dude, it's been, I mean, a glorious day here in Vermont, about 60 degrees, 65 degrees, uh, sunny. It's perfect. Uh, cocktail in the evening, best ball weather. So maybe tonight. We'll see. 60 degrees. I have heard that this weather exists uh, <laughs> just from from the vine, just uh, just you know people talking about it. But uh, yeah, I just spent a weekend with the family in Sedona. So got Beautiful to send pictures, you- Beautiful pictures, by the way, Kyle. That looked great. Oh, man. It was, it was great. The kids actually did some hiking. Their favorite part was crossing over the creeks when we had different parts of the hike. And uh, my youngest kept saying, Daddy, we're crossing the yake. This is the lake we're crossing. <laughs> so that's what I did. I crossed a couple of lakes. Nice. Love it. <laughs> no, it was, it was good times. Uh, we've got some best ball strategy, best ball rankings that we'll kind of tease on this show. And then June 1st, they will be out as part of the Ultimate Draft Kit Plus. That's where our best ball primer and best ball rankings will be there. So if you want to be a part of that, go to ultimatedraftkit.com where we are... You know, it's it's always updating. That's the best part about the Ultimate Draft Kit. You and I put in a ton of effort. Our entire team does. But then it lives and breathes and moves throughout the rest of the offseason. So any quick plugs for the Ultimate Draft Kit? Just I know people know about it, but just if they need a swift kick in the pants. I mean, yeah, like you you know by now it's, it's elite. It's, it's the best there is. But what I love about it is that like, every year, you know, people are always like, Oh, this was great. And then all our team is like, let's make it even better this year. So this is the best ultimate draft kit that has ever been produced. And like you said, it gets updated all summer whenever there's an injury, any transactions, things like that. Um, it's always updated. So yeah, get in there. Cheapest it'll be before June 1st. Today, we printed out just in the office uh, the cheat sheets that you can do. And we actually printed them off. You know, I got it on my phone looking at the app before it's released. And we just printed it off right there from the phone to the printer. And it's right there. So cheat sheet creator. What a power move. I, it felt really cool to be able to say, yeah, print this. This, These are my rankings. It's, <laughs> it's May. Uh, speaking of rankings, I wanted to give a quick question about best ball. And we'll go through a couple players here, but what are the hardest players for you to rank at each position? You know, you and I are putting ours together, our top 300 lists. A lot of people, that's, that's what they draft from. But who are the players that you're finding the hardest in terms of each position? Yeah, if we just start at the quarterback position, for me, 
I, I can't get Joe Burrow where I want him to be in my rankings. And the reason is because we saw what he can be last year down the stretch. You know, we talk about the fantasy playoffs, talk about best ball mania uh, two last year. He was a crucial part of winning that. Um, obviously having a huge ceiling with Jamar Chase and T Higgins and Tyler Boyd. But at the same time, we know that a lot of his efficiency metrics probably will regress. And so you're kind of stuck where he's a great quarterback. He's on a good offense and he's got elite playmakers. So you would think that all works out well for him. But, you know, it is concerning that there are some underlying metrics that might suggest that he might not be as good for fantasy as he was this past year. So I've had a really tough time with him. I also have a soft spot in my heart for Joe Burrow. Like I love this dude uh, and what he did last year down the stretch. I know you don't feel the exact same way. So he's been really, really tough for me to pin down right now. I am behind consensus on Joe Burrow. I've shared this before, especially on our Super Bowl podcast. Joe Burrow as a quarterback in the NFL, totally fine with it. Totally fine with him for fantasy, but he thinks he's the coolest guy in the room because he is <laughs> oh gosh see that turns you, man like, just admit that <laughs> do you think that an nfl quarterback who just led his team to the super bowl and gets to wear whatever he wants to wear is cooler than me a, a dad i mean i did see on the ig the gunner stall shirt from muddy duck so that's that's a pretty elite t-shirt choice in my opinion maybe joey b can't hang with you Gunnar Stahl was the leading scorer in the tournament if you remember in the junior goodwill games in 1994 it was a big deal Iceland. Who could forget? I know. Um, fun fact, the same actor that played him played Scooter the goalie in Mighty Ducks 3, uh, Scott White. So anyway, uh, let's go Let's go to my pick at quarterback. I cannot fathom picking Kyler Murray right now at QB5. Uh, he's going in the top five rounds, 59th overall. I have him, this is going to be hot, in best ball, which is a different format than redraft. I have him at QB9. I just can't get myself to a place where in terms of stacking and upside, because that's really what you need in best ball, especially I'm thinking in these tournaments, where I'm going to be drafting him as the QB5. Who am I stacking with other than Hollywood Brown? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I'm sure a lot of this comes down to the DeAndre Hopkins situation um, as well, as you speak to it. But just to hear Kyle's overall take on the Cardinals, go back to our last episode, we talked NFC win totals. He is down on this team. And so, yeah, if you're down on the team then it would make sense that maybe we don't see the exact same thing from them from fantasy. So it makes sense to correlate. I think QB nine might be a little That's bit hot. too late for me. I, I don't have him that low. I do. I do have him a little bit below consensus. And I just want to speak to one other thing that might take away some of his uh, ceiling is the James Conner stuff. Like Cliff is not shy about what he wants to do and take away, you know, opportunities to pass the football when they get close to the goal line. So if you're thinking about quarterbacks who might be able to, capitalize on those opportunities like Josh Allen usually does that isn't necessarily happening for Kyler Murray with James Conner there as we saw last year so I don't think it's crazy I'm not quite as low but um, I'm with you that I'm a little bit below consensus it's more that I want people that have our best ball rankings when they look at it and they're saying okay what is this based on ADP like I said 59th overall based on my rankings I'm not having him on my teams I'm not having him because I'm lower overall in the Cardinals and you're really taking a shot in the dark of who that other stacking option is. Is it Rondale Moore? Are you going to say that Zach Ertz is going to be an elite differentiator? I mean, James Conner is probably the best player that you can. I don't mind stacking Kyler with him. But I think that his price right now in the top five rounds is too rich for me. So I'd rather be lower and lower in a place where I'm telling people that look at our rankings like, hey, you're probably not going to have Kyler on your team. Yep, I think that makes sense. Let's move over to running back. And this is a player that I'm just stuck on. It's Clyde edwards Lair. And, you know, you look at what he did the last couple of seasons and there was just this expectation in when he was a rookie that he was going to be fantastic. And then he underperforms. People are down on him. You talk yourself into him again next year, you know, the year after, which would have been last year. And again, it was like, meh, he was fine. He didn't live up to expectations. He was fine. So now this season, it's really tough to get back in on a player who's burned people two years in a row. But I keep going back to this wide receiver room and it feels like people are just trying to plug in the hole for Tyree Kill with just like a combination of these dudes. It could be Clyde Edwards-Alaire getting passing down work out of the backfield. I know that's a contrarian take and people hate to hear that, but you know we go back to it all the time. Vacated targets, running backs. Ronald Jones is not a pass-catching running back. Like, Is there a chance we actually see Clyde Edwards-Alaire in a pass-catching role this year? 
I have no idea. I'm not going to rank him as if that is definitely going to happen, but I am going to rank him in the chance that there is some upside that we're not seeing yet from his career that is still there. And of course, being tied to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense is really uh, intriguing. So yeah, he's been tough. He's RB27 right now in ADP. I am slightly ahead of that. Not by much, but he is a player I've kind of gone back and forth with over the last couple of days. So I like CEH. We've talked a lot about vacated targets, running back position. So yeah, I don't mind RB27 getting a little bit ahead of that. I'm going to say Najee Harris. There's no way I will have him ranked as RB5 and eighth overall in my rankings. I can tell you that right now. I don't mind dropping him down as far as RB10. I think he can be safe. Uh, but you're really asking a lot from a rookie quarterback on a team that right now is projected for eight wins. Yes, he's going to see a lot of volume, but I have Najee Harris in a spot right now. He's at 23rd overall, so that's a massive difference where I'm also not going to have him on very many teams. Um, I think he was fine last year where you could get him, but yeah, right now it's like, is he worth a first-round pick? Well, it's tough because you know people want that, that perceived running back that they can just take in round one and then not think about running back for two or three more rounds. And he feels like that guy because you know, his role is so, so safe, but a lot of his volume, you know, a lot of that is Ben Roethlisberger not being able to move in the pocket at all. Right. And there has been several studies showing that mobile quarterbacks are not good for their teammates as far as um, helping to elevate their ceiling. And so, you know, Kenny Pickett isn't necessarily a quote unquote running quarterback, but he can run. He's mobile. And Mitch Trubisky, we've seen that. Oh, so sneaky. You see that sneaky fake slide when he was in college, dude? I mean, you ever see that okay. highlight? <laughs> I was writing up Pickett's blurb today. I think it's not crazy for him to average 15, you know, 15 rushing yards per game, which sounds like nothing, but it's just enough to have it kind of in. It's kind of like Aaron Rodgers, like for a long time. It's like right. never call yeah, him, right. but it's it's there in his pocket. So yeah, Najee yep. Harris isn't a player that I'm going to have. Um, and then wide receiver, I'm just going to quickly say, I have no idea what to do with Michael Thomas still. Like, I'm at the point where I know my rankings are about to come out. His ADP is wide receiver 28. I could make a case for him to be wide receiver 12 and him to, to be wide receiver 48. I have no idea. <laughs> you know what you should just do is, like, sneak in, like, three of Michael Thomas's into our rankings, and then people will, <laughs> will just be happy with where you have him. Like he'll be, he'll be all over the place. Yeah, he's tough because, obviously, we know what he can be, but we've never seen him catch passes from Jameis Winston. Now there's actual talent on the depth chart to compete with it's not just him and his connection with Drew Brees was unmatched so yeah he's a tricky one for sure at the wide receiver position for me it's these Miami guys man Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill are two of the most explosive exciting players in our game but you know you're you're investing a lot into these guys at wide receiver nine for Hill and wide receiver 13 for Waddle for Tua who we haven't really seen him I feel like support that type of player. Now, granted, he hasn't had that type of player and it's a new coaching staff. And when I think back to last season with Debo Samuel, everything with Debo season screams regression. And I just don't want people to think that, okay, insert Tyree kill into the Debo Samuel role and print. I don't think that's going to happen this year. So I'm stuck on those two guys because they're so good and so fun, but it just feels like they're a little overvalued right now in the market. Yeah. I've gotten waddle on a couple of my teams so far. Um, I even have a team where he's my wide receiver one. I went, you know, running back early. And then I ended up with Waddle. So that, that is a hard team. We've talked about that team. We talked about that running game. Like, how do you do that? So we'll go through all of that in our best ball primer. We'll walk through the dolphins. Definitely one of the harder teams. Let's finish with tight end. I'm just going to say with Darren Waller, it's like we're saying last year didn't really happen. You know, he's, he's right now the tight end four, and We've never seen him play with an alpha other than your boy Hunter Renfro. I mean, that's that's an alpha right there, wide receiver. So with Devontae Adams coming to town, what is he going to be? Is he going to be 120 targets? Like, probably not. I, I, I can't foresee that. So uh, I have him at tight end five. It's just one spot lower. Um, I have my boy Kittle one spot ahead of him, but I just don't know what to do with Walter. Yeah, he is so tough because, like you said, you know the wide receiver one he's played with has not really been a wide receiver one, and Devontae Adams is going to command a huge target share. So, yes, that is really tricky. Also, pour one out for my boy Hunter Renfro. I don't think we're going to see what we saw last year, unfortunately. Let's all remember that wide receiver 11 season for what it was. Uh, for me, it's Dallas Goddard. Um, he's currently tight end eight, which feels fine, but I just feel like I don't really know where to go with him. Like, you know, last year, the, the stack with Jalen Hurts felt so clean because you knew it could be... Hertz, Devonta Smith, and Dallas Goddard. And now, you know, A.J. Brown is going to command targets, absolutely. 
Devonta Smith, you know, we just talked about the guys that on the main show last week about second year wide receivers don't just disappear. So you can't just, you know, bring Devonta Smith's targets all the way down either. So like, where does that leave Dallas Goddard? I'm not sure. He was a player last year who was one of the most efficient tight ends in football, led all tight ends in yards per route run, but saw some of the fewest targets of the guys that finished in the top 10 of receiving. So he is an obvious regression candidate as well, especially considering the AJ Brown uh, addition into the team. So He's a guy who's talented, but I just find it tough to see where those targets come from. The, these kind of conversations is going gonna, is gonna to be all over the summer. For you and I going back and forth, and I don't mind disagreeing because I like Dallas Goddard at his ADP. I don't like some of the other Eagles at their ADP. And I think that's going to be kind of the give and take is you're looking at offenses from a number of different angles. You're not saying, are the Eagles going to be good? We've seen the betting markets then move in a good direction. We're saying which pieces are going to be helpful for you to win at best ball. So you'll find all of that in the Ultimate Draft Kit Plus as our best ball rankings and everything comes out. But today, we're going to talk through strategy and just some of the key points that I think are really important to kick off the summer. Best Ball Bonanza. Yes, sir. Fun fact, on the main show this summer, we're going to be doing some best ball segments as well, and Betts and I get to do a lot of the research for that. So every week, you will get to hear that on the Fantasy Footballers main podcast. But for those degenerates that need it every single week from us, a full you know hour's worth, that's what you're getting. Today, we're giving kind of some overview, some highlights of best ball strategy. We've done lots of shows in the past, Best Ball 101. We've talked about stacking. We'll give more shows like this. So for those of you that are like, oh, I've heard you know, the, the simple parts of best ball, we want to take what we've talked about before and kind of expand it, but then also give room. Best ball also can be for dumb people like myself. Like, I need it dumbed down. I need you to explain it to me like I'm five years old bets. <laughs> the best part of drafting, or a fantasy rather, is drafting, and you're done. There you go. That's your that's your quick 10-second uh, explanation for you. So from a high level, let's just start off with this. With best ball, you need to assume that you're right. So in redraft leagues or dynasty league, you're always building depth. But because there's no backup plan, there's no waivers, there's no, you know, you actually change it, you need to assume that you're right. And so when we're drafting, especially running backs, I feel like we can't assume that this player is going to falter. And last year, if you looked at the first round, if you had the first five picks, you know, CMC, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, like if you were in that first five five range, your team was probably dead because those guys didn't last. But you had to assume, and with Derrick Henry, you and I had a team, that big dog team. Who could forget that big dog team? Dude, week seven, it was looking like we were going to be rich people, but we're not. <laughs> there is a team that Betts and I drafted last year, and we had Derrick Henry. And it wasn't somebody that you and I were like, we have to take him, but he fell in our draft. And so you and I were like, all right, let's go. Let's get get on the big dog's back. And for a while, we had the highest point scored by a wide margin in our league. We got really fortunate. We had, what, Debo Samuel on that team. Mm -hmm. uh, we had Waller before he got hurt. Uh, we had Adam Thielen. We had Antonio Brown before he you know, decided to go crazy. So you and I had a pretty good team. But when you look at the very beginning, we assumed that we were right with Derrick Henry. And for the first eight weeks we were, you can't really project that in terms of injuries. Same thing with CMC. You have to assume you're right. Why is that so important to carry into best ball, that mindset? Yeah, that's that's exactly how you should be approaching the first couple rounds of your draft. And really, I think about this as two options. If you just want to think about option A, option B, when you're looking at running backs, wide receivers, how many of these guys should I take? If you assume you're right, that'll dictate how your draft goes. What I mean by that is you can either take these players early and take few of them because you assume that they're going to stay healthy and they're going to be good the rest of the year. For example, let's say you go running back, running back to start. Your team then is relying most likely on those scores most weeks to contribute. So taking another running back in round five and then another one in round seven and another two in 12 and 14, like it's a lot of running backs that if your guys go down early in the season, those two that you took, you're done anyway. And so basically you're wasting those later roster spots essentially in that scenario. The other option is if you don't take a lot of running backs early, let's say you fall into this zero RB type strategy, then you should most likely be trying to compensate for a lack of quality with quantity. But the general take home is like, you know, either you take few of them and you take 
uh, some elite ones early or you pass on them and you take a lot more, but you cannot do both. If you do both, you are definitely setting yourself up uh, to lose in your league for sure. Uh, for example, in the best ball mania, I had the two spot and I believe you did as well in a fast draft. You had the two mm -hmm. spot. So I took Christian McCaffrey. You took dude. Same. Let's go. Dude, CMC. Look at us. Uh, and my draft still going. It's a slow draft, but coming back around Alvin Kamara fell to me. So I had, I had a starting of CMC and Kamara based on that start. I knew that I probably am not going to be taking a running back. I don't know if until maybe around nine, 10, like there's just no chance for me because I'm banking on those scores. I'm saying that CMC is going to be elite. I'm saying that Kamara is going to be elite and that really, you know, in a big tournament like that, I'm asking for them both to be top five backs. That's right. Yeah, that's that's exactly how you should approach it. Just draft as if you are correct, because if you're drafting for safety, you're going to lose anyway. Right. There's no point of me backing, you know, backing those guys up with their insurance running backs. It's just not helpful. Uh, so assume you're right. That doesn't mean you be arrogant. You're not trying to be arrogant. But if you're drafting a player, for instance, if you're drafting Travis Kelsey, you're saying I'm getting an elite tight end score and I'm not needing to like fill that position with three or four. Same thing with quarterback. If you're getting Josh Allen early, you probably shouldn't have four quarterbacks. You should have probably two. Uh, shooting for the moon is kind of what best ball is all, all about. We always say it's Ricky Bobby strategy. It's if, if you're not first, you're last. Like that's what we're going for. So carrying that mindset in, you have to know that the teams you're facing, like the way that they've constructed the roster, I'm trying to use their strengths or the weaknesses against them and create leverage. So that's why when I'm drafting on underdog, I bring up that board and I look at these teams and I say, okay, if that team is wrong, all right, because I'm assuming I'm right based on my roster construction. If that team is wrong, I need to shoot for the moon here and actually go the opposite strategy or at least construct my roster in a way where it actually hits this outcome that's so different than everyone else. So what do we mean by just shooting for the moon and upside? Yeah, well, first, I think you have to think about best ball differently than you would your redraft leagues uh, when it comes to the playoffs. So in redraft leagues, you know, you're just trying to make it into the dance. Getting to one of those top six seeds is usually what it is. Your league might be different, but generally it's the top six teams. And once you get in, you know, it's head-to-head -head matchups. You can adjust. You can make waiver moves, all those things. In best ball, it's basically just the entire season, obviously no moves. And then it's the top three in most, you know, 12-team leagues. It's the top three uh spots get paid out so if you finish fourth it's the exact same as finishing last you're not getting into the playoffs so you might as well shoot for the the top outcomes and shooting for the moon is basically what we're talking about trying to hit those top outcomes in the top three spots to get the payout if you're thinking about a huge tournament like underdog and best ball mania or you know the DraftKings, uh the millie maker that they have for best ball like that's a completely different conversation but we're going to talk about all those things throughout the summer and a little bit on this show today the other thing that I think about with shooting for the moon and not playing it safe is we need to be thinking about stacking, which we're going to talk about today. And when you're stacking to try to correlate for upside, you really are trying to hit the nuts and try to get that top range of outcomes there. And you and I will have more shows. We're going to tease it today, but we're going to have shows on stacking, talk about, you know, just the general strategies, what is overreaching. Because I feel like a lot of times people say, I have to fit a stack in here so much. I saw the other day someone had Michael Pittman on the roster and they drafted Matt Ryan maybe five rounds ahead of ADP because they feel like they just had to get the stack. And I look, I love Matt Ryan. I think he's a you know a fine QB two, QB three in, in best ball formats. But you're not reaching. You're you're waiting for the values to actually fall with with stacking. And the last thing I'll mention is roster construction. You'll hear us mention that a ton. We have a lot of articles out on the site, and we'll be putting more out this summer of just looking at what are the optimal builds. So if you're playing. If you're playing on underdog and you have 18 different rounds, you're asking yourself, how can I use these 18 rounds to construct a roster in a way that's beneficial and doesn't actually hold me back? And then you and I talk a lot about the Best Ball Mania 3, which has over 450,000 entries, and then you finish with 470 teams in that Week 17 final. You are trying to get a unique roster build, but that's based on the players. That's not so much based on like, oh, I need to have five quarterbacks. So uh, give just a quick teaser about roster construction. Yeah, if you follow roster construction, you know, in addition to maybe a couple other basic rules of best ball, you're going to be ahead of the curve compared to people you're playing against. And what we mean by roster construction is how many quarterbacks, how many running backs, how many wide receivers, how many tight ends. And in general, you know, 
a lot of these formats are either PPR, which is DraftKings, or um, I think FFPC is as well. I don't play there because it's not legal in my state, but I'm pretty sure that's full PPR. Underdog, half PPR. You also need to know what are your requirements for these players as far as how many do you have to start. On underdog, you have to start three and we're often looking for like huge upside in the flex too, right? So we're, we're trying to get more wide receivers on our squad to fill those requirements. So for example, if a team just says like, I'm going to dominate with these four elite running backs and two awesome quarterbacks, and then just take like five wide receivers that are all like wide receiver threes on their team, their team is dead because the roster construction is so wrong. I think a good way to think about this, and again, we can put this out to an article form so it's easier to just digest, is two or three quarterbacks four to six running backs, you know, seven to 10, you could even go more wide receivers and two to three tight ends. Like that's kind of the maximum range that you're looking for. Stick to that. You're going to be ahead of the curve from a lot of people. Yeah. I, I was researching some different builds before the show and just seeing, you know, how did people handle this past year? Were there any people that are trying to get really cute? There were no teams that made it into the finals last year with less than six wide receivers. Right. So if you're saying, you know, I'm going to have this crazy build that has five wide receivers and they're all studs and then I'm going to go zero RB like no, you didn't get there. So I would say six is the minimum, but probably somewhere between seven and nine is kind of a, a good medium outlook. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll get into some other thoughts. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddle boards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today's show, I feel like... I was trying to compare it to what this is because it's kind of like an appetizer. We're not fully getting to all of our best ball stuff. I said it's mozzarella sticks because it's usually something you can't screw up, you know, when, when you're getting mozzarella sticks. Like I I would say you can get someone at the store, you get some at the restaurant, like they're good. I wouldn't say mozzarella sticks are like elite great, but it's setting you up for the rest of the meal. Thoughts? I mean, I like that analogy because you're right. You really can't mess up fried cheese. Um, <laughs> if someone has messed this up before, please let us know because I would love to hear how this went south. But yeah, you can't mess it up, and you know what? It just gets you in the right mindset for the rest of your mood. You're in a good, you're, you know, or the rest of your meal, I should say. You're in a good mood. You're happy. So that's exactly what the show is today. Yeah, we're we're setting you up, and you know, we're giving you that little appetizer. And so, bets, why don't you start us off first? We're gonna go back and forth and give a couple of quick tips. Also, give you guys some stats from this past year's best ball mania and the way that people actually did play out like how it actually played out this past year and what we can learn from it so why don't you start us off yeah before we get into that i just want to point people back to an article that i wrote last year on best ball mistakes that i was seeing in drafts i went back to that today to try to help kind of prep for this show and i mean i don't want to give a too big of a pat <laughs> on the back for this one but i felt the article was very easy to digest and understand great like, editing oh, Oh, elite editing. Do you see that the the player cover there, Kyle? Whoever that was, Thank Matthew you. Stafford, I think it was. It uh, was. Hats off to you. Uh, but in all seriousness, no, if you read that, it does set yourself, set yourself up for success to understand, oh, don't make these silly mistakes and you're probably going to expect more value from your drafts than someone else. So po point people to that first. But for today, going to stacking. You know, at this point, I don't think a lot of people need to hear that, but some people might that you should absolutely be stacking in your best ball draft. We're going to get into, I'm sure, a lot this summer about the specifics of how to stack, You know uh, what you should be looking for in a stack, how many players to stack with, all these sort of things. But the bottom line is that there is conclusive research from many people in the industry, and I don't think we need to keep, go back and keep doing it. It is well documented that if you are not stacking in your best ball league, you are setting yourself up to fail. And usually there's one person, sometimes two, in a 12-man league that is not stacking, the bottom line is if you hear nothing else on the show from the stacking section today, don't be that person. You want to be stacking in best ball. 
If you're not, you're definitely setting yourself up uh, to fail. So just pointing that out there again for people. If you're new to this, make sure you're stacking with your quarterback. Yeah, the only quarterback that you could ever think about not stacking is ones that are super mobile and you get super late. We don't really have that in our repertoire this year per se. And even the quarterbacks that are just like elite, you know, could run for, you know, 800 plus yards. There's viable options on all those teams, right? Like Lamar Jackson, it's very clear, like Mark Andrews. Uh, I think there are questions about who to stack on teams like that. Like, okay, I didn't get Mark Andrews. Do I still stack with Lamar? Uh, do I go with Devin Duvernay? Like those are, those are the bigger questions, but even the guys like Trey Lance, um, you know, Justin Fields, we have a couple of different players who we know to stack with. So yes, don't be that guy or gal, uh, as, as Betts would say, I want to point you to another article on the site that Betts did not edit or write. I had zero part in this. Okay. That's true. Uh, this one's called win rates, best ball win rates and what they tell us. This was something that we kind of got into the vernacular of our listeners this past year when we're talking about players. Win rates show us how often a player ended up on a winning roster. A lot of times for redraft leagues, you you know you look at the end of the year and you find players like that. Like obviously Cooper Cup was going to show up on a ton of different rosters this past year. Cooper Cup last year in Best Ball Tens, uh, his win rate was thirty two point nine. That's the second best Best Ball rate of any player since two thousand fifteen. Uh, it was even better on underdog. It was 48%. So if you had Cooper Cup, 48% of those rosters that drafted Cooper Cup made it to the playoffs. Okay, that's how that's how awesome he was as a fourth, fifth round pick, and we know it was a historic season. But win rates are more than just who scored the most points. It was based on where they were drafted, and that's how we calculated them. So anything above 8% for a win rate is pretty good. 10 to 15% and your player's awesome, you're cooking with gas. Anything above 20% for a win rate. I wrote this down. You need to frame that bad boy because that is like an elite <laughs> all-time season. That's what we saw from Cooper Cup. Your boy Hunter Renfro, all right? His elite. ADP last year. All right, do you know where he went in drafts? I think he was mostly undrafted. Right. His ADP was 222, which basically like he's right beyond the cutoff line uh, in 18-round drafts. But basically, he you would have gotten with your 18th-round pick. He had a 17% win rate. That is unbelievable. I mean, he's uh, elite. I'll give you another player that really stood out to me when I was looking at win rates. Daryl Williams, D. Willie, as we call him, uh, running back, formerly of the Kansas City Chiefs. He's currently uh, at home chilling, not with the team. He had a top five win rate, 15%, with an ADP of 200. Why do you think I'm bringing up... Do you, have, do you remember why I'm bringing him up? Is it because of the um, explosion down the stretch? When he that's had that exactly. Huge game. Yep. That's Daryl Williams was a player that if you drafted, you may have gotten a couple of serviceable weeks. Um, I remember drafting on some teams saying, "Okay, if Ch isn't the guy, then I'm going to draft Daryl Williams as like my fifth running back and just hope that he can fill in." And it happened to be the week at the very end of the year that game, Kansas City and uh, Cincinnati. That was in Week 17. He scores two rushing touchdowns, and he's a top three running back that week. So I bring up players like that because his win rate to get you there was good, but his win rate through the semifinals and the finals was even better. And that's what you need to find, players that have the right mix of ADP and players that are, uh, you know, can down the stretch really help you. And so Betts, and Betts talks about that a lot uh, in just a second. He'll get to week 17. It is the big week in best ball. But I want to give a couple of strategy takeaways that I found from win rates. Last year, the top five picks were death. Like, just looking at the board, if you had a top five pick, I'm really sorry because you probably took Christian McCaffrey, probably took uh, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, whatever. If you were somebody that was just, you know what, I just, I'm going to be different, then maybe you got lucky. I remember being in a draft and someone took Austin Eckler at like the 103. And I was like, wow, that that is a ballsy move. And it ended up being one of the best picks in the draft. So feel free to get different in a large tournament. It doesn't usually work out that way. But running backs in rounds 8 through 12 were a gold mine this past year. That's where you find, found guys like James Conner. You're finding guys in that range if you have elite running backs. Let's say you take running backs in the first couple of rounds and you wait till then, rounds 8, 9, 10, 11. You're finding that those picks are way better than the wide receivers that you can take there. Because the wide receivers in round 10 are maybe the third best options on your team where the guys you get here can 
easily be elevated to being an RB1. Like that, that's kind of what you're looking for in that range. And the last thing I'll say is tight ends. This is a big takeaway. Three tight end builds had one of the best advance rates last year of the playoffs, but two tight ends had the way better uh, win rate to win it all. So the preferred strategy this past year, if you somehow lucked through everything, was to go two quarterbacks, four running backs. You had to pick the right running backs, 10 wide receivers, and two tight ends. So any any takeaways for you from those types of builds? I mean, I like to draft that way. Again, that kind of goes back to assuming that you are right when you're drafting. And, you know, when you're taking, you know, four or five running backs, which usually I do on most of my teams, that's exactly what you're saying. And then that's what I was talking about, too, with underdogs specifically. You know, if you need three wide receiver spots each week, no matter what, you want to be filling your flex with the wide receiver because we talk about this in DFS the range of outcomes is wider. And so while you may not get the same consistency, you can get the Tyler Lockett random explosion for 200 yards and two touchdowns. That's what you're shooting for with these kind of lineups and hoping that they get you there. So I like the two, four, ten. Some, I mean, depending on if you go three quarterback or tight end, but basically four or five running backs, nine or 10 wide receivers. I found myself doing a lot last year and had some decent success with. So I like that quite a bit, especially if you're drafting on underdog. All right, Betts, why don't you talk to us about week 17, your favorite week of best ball. Dude, best week of the season. You kidding me? You're sitting there. You forgot these teams even existed. And then all of a sudden you open your app and you're like, hey, I'm in the best ball mania final. Look at this. Um, no, in all seriousness, if you got to that point, you'd probably be doing cartwheels. Uh, just super excited. But when you're looking at large field tournaments, I mentioned a couple of them. Underdogs, best ball mania. DraftKings is the million maker. FFPC has one. If you're drafting these formats, Simply roster construction and drafting the quote-unquote best guys is not enough because think about what it takes to even get to this point. On underdog, you're trying to basically win three GPPs in a row, and the GPPs start out super big and like slowly shrink down. So even just getting to Week 17, if you still have a team alive, is like a top 0-1% outcome. It's very, very rare. So if you get there, we should be thinking about if that happens... Obviously, you have an amazing roster, but how can we further maximize like correlation in that game? And this is really helpful if you play DFS because it's exactly what we talk about each week in DFS when you're looking at game stacks and you're looking at how lineups work with each other. When one offense rolls, it pushes the other offense to do more. So what I am trying to do this year more than any years in the past because this field has gotten so big is in Best Ball Mania, looking at week 17 and allowing my roster and my kind of build to go, and then seeing what players I have and having the NFL schedule pulled up in front of me, or at least having week 17 pulled up in front of me to say to myself, okay, I already have, you know, this year, I think it was a, I took a Russell Wilson stack. I already had Russ Wilson stacks falling to me with value. So I said, I'm going to just spend my last one or two picks on a Chiefs player and hope that in that game in week 17, if I even get there in the 0.01% of the time that it happens, that those players can correlate and interact with each other. Again, it's top range outcome. It's not likely. You should not enter your draft saying, I am definitely going to stack this week 17 game. But if you find yourself landing on a certain team and a certain build with your stacks, you might as well run it back with someone on the opposite side in these huge tournaments. You mentioned that game between the Chiefs and the Bengals last year. That was my example for this. You Ooh. know, people were winning tons of money thanks to Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and Tyler Boyd that week. Joe Burrow went off, Jamar Chase had three touchdowns, Tyler Boyd had one. And the other side of the ball was your boy, Darrell Williams, who had those two rushing touchdowns. So that's just one example. Another one I can speak to is um, is Amara St. Brown and Rashad Penny. So last year, if you would have said in May that those two were going to be on a, a winning roster, you would have laughed. But the thing is, they were going in round 14 by the time August got here. So I'm not saying that you need to even enter your drafts in the first three or four rounds and, and peg this down. But just think about how these guys can interact. Both those guys went in round 14 last year. They exploded in week 17. No one saw it coming. And so I think my general take home here, this is a lot of words, very long-winded. But what I'm trying to get to is, you know, use it as a piece of the puzzle. Don't focus solely on it. And don't worry worry as much about picking the right game. It's hard to predict in May what's going to happen in January. So just correlate those two a little bit if you are playing in those large large field tournaments. All right, I'll just go through a couple of different week 17 pulled up. So here's just a couple of matchups just to think about some exciting games for week 17. The Broncos play the Chiefs at Kansas City. Um, we also have 
both Los Angeles teams playing each other. So we have Rams at Chargers. That's Sunday night. And then the Monday night game, whew, Bills at Bengals. Wowza. No, those are those are some fun ones. There's some other ones I can mix in there too, but those are the couple of games that stood out to me. Those I've also seen this too. I've have a couple of teams. Uh, Vikings play at Packers, so I'm finding uh, you know some value. I mentioned last week with the Minnesota Vikings. So yeah, go ahead. You have Week 17 in front of you. It's not the preeminent thing you need to build around, but it is worth correlating some of those if you want to get that far um, and win some money. All right, last thing I will mention. Speaking of large field tourneys, that best ball mania tournament that Bets and I talk about, it's only $25 on underdog. No, we're not promoting it. Yes, we're playing in it all the time, and it's super fun. Uh, you can do it. You have to take a stance on what is the consensus, and sometimes you have to be contrarian, meaning there are things that are across the industry. Everyone just says out loud without saying it. So last year, one of the things that people assumed, <laughs> people out there, no, I'm, I'm using people, an example where I got one. <laughs> What's funny is I'm using an example where I was just stubborn and I just went against the grain because that's part of my personality. But there are so many examples where I was just dead wrong about this. But last year, Travis Kelsey across the industry in every single format was seen as a first rounder, right? Like if you're going to get somebody who's coming off an elite season, like he was coming off an all-time tight end season, it was just assumed this guy's a first round pick. His ADP was 7.3, so mid mid first round. Maybe if you got him at the late first round, you felt like you were getting a value. But I saw him in some drafts going as early as 103. People that were saying, I want a differentiator. I want Travis Kelsey um, at the very beginning of the drafts. I took the opposite approach in a big tournament. Okay, so in Best Ball Mania, I said, hey, everybody is assuming that Travis Kelsey's going to do that. So if I'm going to have a slight little edge. I'm going to say Travis Kelsey isn't going to return value. Now, was Travis Kelsey good? He was pretty good last year, right? Tight end two. Uh, he had a great season. He went 90, uh, over 90 catches, over 1,100 yards, nine touchdowns. That was pretty good. But I, I put this stat out today. He had the same win rate, 8.7% as Cole Komet, a player who did not score a touchdown. Why is that so, Betts? That is just pain. That is just pain. Um, this all comes down to, to me, win rates are another way to say, what is the opportunity cost? Because when you are taking a player in round one, they can't just be good for your team. They have to be elite difference makers for your team in best ball. And if they're not, you know, they can be good and still not be worthy of the pick, basically, is what this comes down to. And so when you get a guy like Colt Komet, who last year was going super, super, super late, he didn't do that much, but the opportunity cost was so low that... You know, your roster construction and your build still helped you do well, I guess, is kind of the take home here. So, yeah, win rate is all about opportunity cost. I was happy that Mark Andrews was a player that you and I were pretty high on this past year. And so I know we have a lot of our listeners that were um, that had Mark Andrews on a lot of different teams. But if you stacked him with Lamar, then those teams would have fallen short as you went through the playoffs. But regardless, Mark Andrews was um, was a great pick. But, yeah, it's about opportunity cost and asking yourself this question. What do I win when I win? So if this player comes through, if I'm right about this player, what do I win? So as Travis Kelsey this past year, because he was seen as a consensus first round pick, there was very little, in my opinion, that you could win. You needed Travis Kelsey to have an elite season and you needed the rest of the crew to actually fall way short, which we'd seen in the past, but that wasn't what happened, right? Mark Andrews was insane and Travis Kelsey was good, not great. And he wasn't great when you needed him the most at the end of the year. He felt pretty flat in that game, right, against Cincinnati? Yeah, I believe so. So that's my point is just what do I win when this player is going at their ADP? All right, because that's what opportunity costs and win rates are all about, their ADP. So I'm going to fire off a couple of things that I've just kind of felt out so far that these are consensus thoughts. And I see it in ADP. If you go to underdog which is available on our site. You can see the underdog ADP. Uh, these are things that are just there. And I'm not saying they're right or wrong. I'm just thinking out loud here. So, Betts, you can be the voice of reason here. But right now, I'm seeing that Cooper Cup in best ball is a consensus top three pick. Is I mean, what do we win if he hits? Yeah, the thing that's really tricky about Cooper Cup is that 
have to be careful with how I say this <laughs> because we need him to do exactly what he did last year again for this pick to have a high win rate. Would you say that's a fair statement? Yes. But we know the chances of that happening are not very good. So, yeah, I think I'm with you. Like, it's in redraft leagues, like to me, it's the no question. You take him because of the safety he provides you and all those sort of things. Right. But in best ball, for what he did last year, to expect that again is probably fool's gold. And so, yeah, that top three pick is very uh, expensive to pay for a guy who has some regression coming his way for sure. All right. So at the beginning of the draft, that's that's the question. Like, I, I you and I were at the second pick. Completely different drafts. We both texted each other like, oh, wow, I have a second pick. Was there any thought to taking Cup there? Uh, no, I didn't think about it for a second. I didn't think about it for a second either because I, I I had that same thought. I need Cup to basically be historic again. And based on the odds, it's really hard to repeat that. Uh, there's also just so many wide receivers. Like You can make it up, as you mentioned, through just a number of different guys, through the quantity. So... That's just something that I see there. I'm not saying I'm not telling you not to pick Cooper Cup there, but I haven't really seen him fall further than like four, maybe five. If if your people are just loading up on running backs, so as you go through the summer, think that I'm going to give a couple more right now. JTT is the unquestioned 101 in redraft leagues, and in best ball, he pretty much goes 101. Can you poke any holes in that? On paper, no, but. It's very easy to say to yourself, okay, well, you know, the running back one doesn't always repeat and rarely repeats, and he is going in that position. There is also the historic uncertainty and, you know, unfortunate reality of, well, everyone that just took Christian McCaffrey first last couple of years, and again, this is hindsight, so it's clearly obvious to say, but it's like, I took CMC, like, I have such a cheat code, my team is loaded your season was done with with injury and we're not telling you to think about injury and predict it but i think there is some credence to say like in these large field tournaments everyone that draws the one-on-one takes jonathan taylor are you winning anything if he has a great year and i think the answer would probably be no it's it's really hard because we're we're splitting hairs about the elite of the elite like you and i brought up cooper cup and jonathan taylor who won people fantasy championships last year Jonathan Taylor was one of those players when I was looking back at win rates that was so good because he was seen as kind of a top seven, eight pick. And then when Carson Wentz had that foot injury, uh, Quentin Nelson had that foot injury. Uh, I think yep. they both had the same one, right? I think so. Yeah. When that happened, Jonathan Taylor and just who's going to be the quarterback to start the year for that team, Jonathan Taylor's ADP dropped to the second round. So he's kind of a fringe round one, round two pick. And so you were getting value with that type of player where, you know, he exploded. And so if you pick Jonathan Taylor and you avoided all of those guys at the top of the drafts, then your team hit. So just bringing up Jonathan Taylor is the unquestioned 101. Uh, it's a consensus thought. And in a big tournament, maybe you need to look elsewhere. I'm going to give one more. Right now, the consensus top two tight ends, no matter what, every single draft, I haven't seen this play out differently. Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews. They're going, you know, into first round, somewhere mid-second, you know, in that kind of uh, 12 to 18 range. Can we poke holes that those two are going to be the two no matter what? Because everyone's looking at it that way. I have them in my ranks that way. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to, like, have anything, a hot take where I have TJ Hawkinson tied in two or Kyle Pitts. But is there room for another tight end to jump above those guys or for one of those guys to falter? I mean, the obvious question or the obvious answer rather is yes, but it might not matter. What I mean by that is like, it's kind of a mute point because at the tight end position, I feel better about going into ADP, not where they're going overall, but where they're going in far as the pecking order of tight ends. Like you said, I'm not drafting TJ Hawkinson over Travis Kelsey just for the sake of being different because I think the most likely outcomes are that, yes, these guys do finish top two. To me, it's just a matter of opportunity cost relative to other positions. Um, and, and tight end is so tricky because the players, the available players that can beat these guys shrinks very, very quickly. Like maybe you could think the top, what would you say, seven tight ends in, the, in fantasy, top eight, maybe have that ceiling. You can't talk yourself into a Cole Komet tight end one season. Like you just, you can't tell me that would take in like the the best <laughs> season ever from Cole Komet to have that actually happen. You watch so, your mouth. You know, for wide receivers, 
there are many, 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 many that can beat Cooper Cup this year. So I think I am in line to follow ADP, but maybe just draft them differently relative to other positions. If you do miss out on one of those two elite tight ends, you know, Pitts is up next. He's going 30th overall. Then Waller, tight end four at about 48th. Uh, then you start going a little bit low, lower. You start getting to Kittle, Hawkinson, uh, Dalton Schultz, Dallas Goddard, players like that. You're going to have to say, we talked at the very beginning, you have to assume that you're right. If you're going to have a three tight end build, you need to assume that one of those top two falters. And I think based on just odds and the way that they've done it, I would say that at least one of those two, Kelsey and Andrews, will not return their draft value. I don't know which one it is. And it's really hard to make a complete stance and fade them both. So you want to have exposure to them. You know, we always talk about having a portfolio. But if you're going to do it, if you're saying in a draft, I don't have these guys, I don't really like where Pitts is going, you know, you don't end up with those guys, then you need to find the tight end that's going late that can do it. I like Cole Komet where you can get him in a draft. I think he's a great tight end too. If you have a three tight end build, I think that that's totally fine. Irv Smith's another one that's going a little bit later. If you're one to stack with Kirk Cousins, I don't mind that. We'll give some of our tight end options that we like later, but I just need to bring this up because everybody and their mama is saying Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews, and I'm one of them, and my mama's one of them, but guess what? I think we might be wrong. And this is what it all comes back to, too. Like These large field tournaments, you should be thinking with the DFS mindset because we talk about a DFS, if you just follow the crowd, like you might hit... You know, if, let's say the top 100 spots get paid out in a tournament. You might hit like number 90 and you're like, okay, cool. I cashed this week. But are you hitting the top range of outcomes? And that's what best ball is all about. So I know Kyle's one of the best minds in, in the industry at doing this is thinking outside the box and thinking about, okay, well, everyone thinks this. What if this other outcome happens? And so I do think in these large field tournaments, that is a lot of value. I'm not saying I would do any of this kind of crazy stuff, you know, in like a normal 12 team league, but in these tournaments, definitely get outside the box and um you know question kind of the consensus like Kyle's saying it's it's yeah it's for me there's fun in being able to break down what somebody's saying and saying what do I win when I win here uh so asking yourself those questions what do I win when I take Cooper Cup in the top three pick like okay well I need him to be historic that's what I need and so that's for me a really easy fade at his ADP I love Cooper Cup I want him on my teams as much as I can I don't know if I could take him at that uh draft cost you and I will be getting into our best ball rankings. We'll be talking more and more uh, about just how to differentiate yourself, how to think about stacking, how to think about win rates. All this summer, summer best ball, we'll also be releasing some surprise private uh, best ball drafts. So be looking on, on that. If you want to go on Twitter, bets is at the fantasy PT. I'm at Kyle underscore Borg. If you want to join us and have a lot of fun with us this summer, bets, sign us off. Dude, it's officially here. June 1st, right around the corner by the time our next episode comes out. UDK Plus will be available. Go get it today before it's too late. Best Ball Primer, Best Ball Rankings, everything you need to win in Best Ball this year. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fantasy Footballers DFS Podcast. Don't forget to visit us on the web at www.thefantasyfootballers.com.